Soon after we moved to Pleasant Hill, I made an inquiry about a peach tree. My husband has an aunt and uncle who are brilliant gardeners. And in particular, their peach trees are, they are just the most prolific I have ever seen. When I asked Paula for her advice, given our climate, she responded cheerfully, oh, we have a peach tree that I was hoping maybe you would grow. And so it was that deep in the pandemic, we planted a very wee peach tree that my husband's uncle had grown from a pit. I watered it religiously, I fed it, I checked on it often, and finally, about this time last spring, it, it popped out with five gorgeous pink blossoms. Five. I was elated. I continued keeping tabs on the tree and eventually saw two tiny green peaches taking form. A little later, when, when one was just the size of an olive, it shriveled up and fell off. And so the kids and I watched and hoped and waited as both the tree and we humans poured all of our energy into this one peach. <laughs> there are always risks, always limits. In our gospel this morning, the followers of Jesus seem to be feeling the fear of this truth and its attending pain rather acutely. Our writer doesn't record all that they say in this back and forth with Jesus, but once again they bring to him the problem of suffering. Jesus hears them. He acknowledges these two tragedies, one evil and one just awful. Why? I imagine them asking. They're always asking this. How could this happen? With each breath, they are begging Jesus for guidance. How can we dodge this suffering ourselves? I don't expect that Jesus' response is satisfying for them. He has little interest in this question of why. They are wringing their hands, but but he is unwilling to even entertain it. It's not about why this happened. He redirects them. The question is how then we're going to live. Not why, but so what? And then while they're still reeling, he throws them a parable. That's what a parable is. It's a, a throwing alongside sometimes of really disparate things. He catches the suffering of the world and throws alongside it a story, a mystery, a, a puzzle of this fig tree that has just a little more time to bear fruit. It is harsh. 
I imagine the crowd squirming as they take it in, trying to make sense of it. Here is a bare tree. It leafs out, maybe, but it is not fully itself. It does not offer its gift to all those who need it, who would delight in it. The response, then, that Jesus voices in the parable holds grace and is also finite. One year. You have one year. Dig in, feed it, work the soil, wait. But the tree does not have endless time. There are not infinite chances to bear fruit to come fully alive. Peeling back the layers, I think Jesus is offering an illustration of his urging these worried, hurting people to repent. I have said it before, I will say it again, this is not about crawling on our knees and groveling in guilt. Repenting in the roots of the word is about turning back towards God. It's about changing our perspective, maybe literally, and seeing as God sees. Learning to change our minds and look as God looks at the world. Repenting, Jesus suggests, is how we can come more fully alive. These folks arrive believing that they have endless opportunity and that if they just get the right information, they ought to be able to avoid suffering. Full stop. Jesus says that no, they're asking the wrong question. Look instead as God looks He says, look for how you can really live. Look for where you can bear fruit now and offer something to nourish the world. And what's more, he says, know know that it matters. That it matters right now. The gift, the need, the inherent hope of it. These are all too great to wait on. This parable catches in my throat. It is stark and arresting because it's true. We remembered this truth together on Ash Wednesday, and Lent just keeps handing us these reality checks week after week. And for my part, a lot of the time, I fight against it. I want to deny it. I try to ignore it. If I'm honest, so, so often I long for more time. Last week, uh, a dear friend who's a good bit older than I am made an offhand comment about how he is later in life. It wasn't at all the point of the conversation. It was just a matter of context that he was naming but it, it grabbed me. I immediately pushed back railing like these crowds who so want it to be another way. 
I, I flapped about and argued that he has loads of time, that his math is terrible, and he was being ridiculous. Friends, it, it is my job to tend to the fact that life is finite. Yet even as much as I reflect on passages like this one, even as I help people to make funeral plans and, and bury our beloveds and mark foreheads with ash, I struggle with this truth. My friend kindly held his ground, smiling as he set me straight. Of course he was right. But, but I want not just the grace of one year to dig in and feed the roots and see what happens. I want the ease of endless chances, the, the reassurance of all the time, especially with the people that I love. And then, full of that same love and honesty, Jesus points us in another direction entirely. What is before us, this life, it is good, yes, and it is finite. So change your mind. Look at the world the way God looks and be quick. This is urgent. Last summer, as that one singular peach grew, we covered the tiny tree in netting, anxious to protect it well. It was magnificent, growing fatter and slowly warming from this pale yellow into just a little bit of red. And day by day, I, I pressed my thumb into it just a little bit to see if it was soft. It was almost there. And then one evening, my daughter Alice took our puppy outside. <laughs> and moments later, it's, it's, it's not Mabel's fault. Moments later, though, she let out a blood-curdling scream, and I raced out to see what was wrong. And Alice pointed across the yard, horrified, because a squirrel had somehow gotten into the netting and was making off with our peach. It was hard work because it was really a very large peach at this time. And I sprinted after it, yelling and waving my arms and making this whole big scene until, thankfully, the squirrel gave up, dropped the peach, and took off up a tree. And so I came over, a little bit worked up at this point, more than a little, and I, I crouched down, I picked up the peach, and I tenderly inspected it. It had a few tiny bite marks on it, but, but it was not so bad. <laughs> I wish I were exaggerating, but I'm really not. I would have given it another day uh, if it had been up to me, but it was really close. And so I took this peach inside, and I washed it, and I, I cut out the damage the squirrel had done. And I sliced it. I, I was able to get eight small slices out of this peach, what was left of it. And I sat down with my family. And, and we, we took in, together we took in the wonder of this one precious peach. 
We savored it, each, each taking our time with one glorious piece and then the other. Sometimes the run that we have is not enough. Time is too short or reconciliation seems out of reach or life just gets in the way and towers fall not choosing who stands in their path. Tyrants steal the lives of children, of neighbors. Sometimes our longing is true. And from all we see, all that we can know on this side, the life that unfolds is not enough. Jesus hears this. He knows this ache. And his response? His response, friends, is to ask us to live. To dig in, knowing we may have but a year. To turn, to see as God sees, to relish the beauty He asks us to come fully alive. It was only one peach. And it was so very good.